This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy. Welcome to our 2021 UCF Baseball Preview Edition of the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. I'm Jeff Sharon, along with Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy. Well, a little bit of normalcy, if you will, with UCF starting in the spring in terms of baseball competition. It's going to be there are going to be some different things, but one thing that doesn't change is our interview with Greg Lovelady, which we will have for you a little bit later on in the show. Um, UCF coming off of last year's performance, fifteen and three, when the season got shut down, one of the more disappointing results to one of the more promising seasons that we've seen in quite a while for UCF after they swept Auburn and they were off to a really hot start. Um, And then the rug got pulled out from under them by COVID-19. But they get a chance to somewhat redeem that this year. Uh, The Knights are uh, once again expected to be one of the favorites in the American. ECU is still the favorite. But Brian Murphy, um, there are quite some, uh, uh, as usual with baseball this day and age, there are quite a few differences from last year's squad. Quite a few, and we could just start at the top with, I think, which is the biggest one for this squad, uh, which is they don't have Dalton Wingo on it, and this is a bit of a surprise. We I, I heard about this some months ago, that he wasn't on their initial roster, and kind of looked into that, and, and I, I had heard some things, but couldn't go public with it, but um, we asked Greg Lovelady on Tuesday, we first met with him for his first media availability of this new season, what exactly is the story with Dalton Wingo and why is he no longer on this roster? Uh, yeah, I mean, he just uh, decided to retire, um, just uh, ready to move on with his life and, um, you know, getting married and, and, and things like that. So um, it just was a decision that he made um, that, uh, you know, I'm sure some of it had to do with just everything going on in the draft and, and whatnot. But at the end of the day, he just felt like, uh, it was in his best interest just to move on with the rest of his life and decided that, it, you know, baseball wasn't something that was, uh, you know, I guess as important or, or whatnot. So um, his fiance and him just decided they wanted to, to move on. So retired. So there's Greg Lovelady uh, talking, I don't know, begrudgingly about Dalton Lingo. I mean, listen to him and you watch him, the body language there wasn't great, but, uh, you know, it just goes to show that I, I don't know if Dalton left on the best of terms, but this is a big bat for UCF to lose. Dalton did seven home runs in 2019. He had he had a uh, three homer game late in the year in 2019. Then hit 303 uh, with uh, a couple more home runs last year in a shortened season. Um, you know, had an OPS of about 850 in 2019. Really, one of the team's best run producers. Only as a sophomore in 2019. Would have been a junior coming into this year. But uh, as Greg said, uh, he's decided to move on with his life. And that does leave um, some question marks and some holes into this night's lineup. Yeah, it, it, interesting for a team that actually you know hit pretty well in those 18 games uh, overall uh, last season. Certainly the hitting was timely, but you know they scored double-digit runs in, uh, in uh, almost half of their victories last year. But... Um, nonetheless, there are going to be some guys who are going to be expected to fill those holes. And uh, as we look at 
what this what this team is going to look like in terms of the batting order. Where are where is that production uh, going to come from? Well, I think at the top, uh, the the guy who runs this whole thing is Jeffrey Pena, <clears throat> the center fielder who, again, two years ago, if you talked to Greg, he could barely you know muscle out a, a line drive single into the outfield. And then all of a sudden, he was hitting oppo home runs during fall ball in uh, in fall 2019 and coming into 2020. He was fantastic last year, offensively and defensively. Uh, he's also got the best, the, the most speed on the team. Uh, you know, in, in a full season, he could probably steal 40 to 50 bags. I swear to God. Uh, and he plays great defense. He is he is the engine of this of this offense. I think the most power will come from the likes of a. Jordan Rathbone, uh, you know, a DH outfield type who's got a lot of slugging ability. Nick Romano at first base who, you know, had, you know, made a lot of contact last year, um, but but mostly he was like no, no, not a lot of extra base hits for Nick. Apparently he's muscled up this year and is, is, is able to power the ball more. I'm interested to hear about Ben Rushing. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't talked about him a whole lot this preseason, but he did hit three home runs in fall ball this year. Uh, which was the most on the team, and I wonder, without again, without Wingo, uh, this team is going to need to add in some more pop, and maybe Ben Rushing is kind of an unheralded guy who could add it. Eric, when you look at where this team was last year, when everything was just just rolling, and then all of a sudden the rug comes out from underneath them like it did, how does that psychologically affect the team, especially after all the all the time that they had? You know, the guys who are returning for this team. I gotta believe they gotta be. They gotta think to themselves, you know, even though it was so, it was out of their control. Just they gotta be thinking, man, last year was special. How can we replicate that? Well, it's a what if, right? It'll always be a what if. But if there's a positive, when we had this show a year ago, there was a lot of questions about this lineup and this roster because they were so young. And now at least you have something that you've put on the on, on in your resume now they've pl- performed and they've succeeded and i think that's going to help them here moving forward for this season and beyond so i think that's the positive you take from getting those games in is that positive uh results that you were getting on the field that now you know you can perform at this level yeah well i mean they're going to get another shot at uh at another team from the sec with ole miss uh coming in uh, as well as the fact that you know this is uh, it, they're going to get a lot of teams in, from the state of Florida uh, as well uh, as they can, you know and that's more or less a COVID thing right they have um, a lot of opportunity they're going to have a lot of uh, you really can't travel all that much uh, and then in the conference season and we're going to get into more of this with Greg Lovelady the four game series now um, with uh, the way they're usually going to play it is. One game Friday, two games Saturday, and then one game Sunday, although that will vary. Uh, you guys yeah. – oh, go ahead, Mark. I'm sorry. So I will, yeah, I'll amend that a little bit because now when the schedule came out on baseball, they only had the, ser- the conference series grouped together. But apparently now we've all talked in the months about there's going to be a doubleheader on, on Saturday, the middle game, middle day of that series. The doubleheaders now in the American will take place on Friday, hmm. uh, not Saturday. Uh, this apparently, I, I don't even know if it's been formally announced by the league, but some teams have talked about it in their press releases. I talked to somebody at UCF Baseball yesterday who confirmed it to me. Um, Saturday, uh, it'll be Friday doubleheader, uh, usually like a one o'clock start and, and then a, a and then a six o'clock start or a two o'clock start and a seven o'clock start. 
followed by a Saturday mid uh, Saturday game, only one game Saturday and a one game Sunday. So yeah, Friday double headers. Interesting. Now I'm a little surprised I, at that because you chance to get a little bit, a few more fans on on a Saturday than a, than a Friday. Well, right? uh, fans are going to be limited throughout the year, so I think that's why they could do it this year on a Friday because there's fa- attendance is not going to be a factor this year. Yeah, and I think it also gives you the highest percentage chance of getting games in, right? Like yep. get there right yep. away, get two games in. Plus, here's the thing, you know, if there's weather issues. Saturday or Sunday, at least you know you got two games in. Or if you have weather issues on Friday, you could push the doubleheader later in the weekend. So it actually gives you more flexibility uh, to get games in, which is the ultimate goal in this. Yeah, that's yeah, a good point. that that is the, that is the reason why they they push the, the doubleheaders to the first day of the series. And I shouldn't just say just Friday. I was sometimes these series start on Thursday, in which case the doubleheader would be on Thursday. Um, but the reason why they've done this is because it gives them the best chance to to play the most games in case something happens on the back end, you know, because the team's got to be in a city for three days. If something happens after that first day where the series gets called off, well, at least then you've got two games already under your belt. All right. All right. So without further ado, let's hear from the man himself once again for our annual preview of UCF baseball and his team, the head coach of UCF baseball, Greg Lovelady here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Greg Lovelady here with us. Uh, to talk about his team getting ready for 2021 in this bizarre total offseason. Greg, what's up, man? How are you? I'm good, guys. I'm good. You know, it's been uh, definitely a crazy 11 months and, you know, a really crazy two months. And just, I mean, it's amazing that we're finally here. And, you know, um, seems like it was years ago that we last played a game. So I'm excited, excited to see our guys compete again. That's for sure. Tell me about how you, I ask every coach this, how did you get through you know, the end of last season through to now, just, just in terms of the day to day, like dealing with your players. Cause you know, you can, it's a limited amount of time that you can see them and all that kind of stuff. So what's it been like? Yeah. I mean, it was tough. You know, the first couple of weeks were really just a difficult time. I think for all of us, just going through the the shock and the, you know, especially for us, you know, it being so good and, and being on a roll and the what ifs and, and all that, it really took like two weeks to kind of, you know, accept it, I guess, and move on and um, and then just kind of accept the new normal. And, um, you know, it's obviously crazy for the next couple of months. You know, the summertime is normal for us, even though we were kind of in quarantine, you know, and that kind of stuff. A lot of things were shut down like it was normal as the summer is more recruiting. So we spent a lot of time, you know, watching live stream games on, on the TV and multiple screens and multiple devices, watching different games and, you know, FaceTiming with families because they weren't allowed to come on campus and, um, so we just had to pivot and adjust, you know, it, it was, it, it was what it was. And so we needed to, to be able to do that. So, but then not knowing what we were, the fall was going to look like, I mean, it was so, you know, there's wasn't a ton of planning out a lot of reasons, you know, I think the administration, we didn't want to make a decision too early, you know, and then regret it or whatnot and, you know, say, okay, we're not going to do something. And then, Oh man, we can, or say we're going to do this. And then at the last minute, like have the rug pulled out again from us. So, you know, it was kind of fly by the seat of your pants where, um, you know, you just like the week before we started, you know, fall, fall uh, semester, it's like we were just starting to get an idea of what it was going to look like and what the fall was going to look like. So that was that was definitely interesting. But then, you know, from a from a workload standpoint, you know, the fall was pretty normal, you know, obviously not meeting in person with guys, but having a lot of, you know, you know, virtual stuff, which was definitely weird at first. And, you know, very difficult, I think, to 
you know, as coaches, I think we learn to kind of um, feel out the temperature of the room and, and being able to make eye contact and engage in these meetings, whatever you're trying to, whether you're teaching something or whether you're just talking about, you know, maybe practice from yesterday and trying to feel out how the guys, you know, if they understand attention, that stuff. So that made it difficult, but in terms of the workload, it was, it was normal, you know, and then get into break and stuff. But then January was just hectic for me because that's when the scheduling kind of stuff just went absolutely bonkers. So, um, and then just trying to get to practice and make sure everybody's healthy and, and that we're getting all the things done that we need to and preparing the kids as best as we possibly can. Like it's just been a whirlwind. Um, but at the same time, like it's just the new normal, I guess. And, you know, you just show up and do your work and whether that's on, on virtually or in person or on the field, or you got to do differently than you did in the past. Like we've all just had to adjust and, and figure out a way to make it happen. Well, coach, through all of that chaos and all of that newness, and you talk about January was really hectic getting the schedule together. How do you feel? What do you think is your team's mindset now as you're a few days out from the start of the regular season? Do you feel like this, you know, the mindset of this team is like any other team that you've had heading into any other season? Um, I think one, I mean, I think they're excited, obviously. I mean, just to get back to competing with each other and, um, and being able to, you know, see another team and, uh, you know, a bunch of them got to play in the summer and some summer leagues, but, um, you know, I think that they're really get excited to get back together as this group and, um, you know, be on the field. And, and I also feel like, you know, they're very confident just from last year, the things they were able to do. And, um, and I feel, I feel like they think there's unfinished business, um, things that we were, you know, trying to do as a, as a, as an organization and as a program and things that we were on the path of doing, um, that they were really excited about accomplishing that we didn't get a chance to do. I feel like they want to go out and kind of, um, I mean, they understand this isn't the same team and, and nothing gets carried over, but they feel like this is kind of like, all right, like, we kind of got to start over, but we're going to start over where we ended, you know, kind of mentality and, and continue to build and continue to, to put ourselves on a path to, 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 to reach the goals that we set out to reach last year that we just, unfortunately, you know, it's, it's different when you just kind of don't reach the goals or, you know, you end up having a tough loss to end the season or something like that, like where there's some closure, like there was no closure. So I feel like, you know, hopefully we'll just, you know, just from an energy and a, and a way we go about things. I mean, wins and losses are going to be going to be kind of, somewhat out of our control. You know what I mean? Like we just got to go out and continue the energy and the way we were going about our business, the way we were preparing the confidence that our kids had, like just go out and continue to play like that. And we, we believe that good things will happen to the, to, to the, to the team this year. Take us through the process first as from the conference standpoint, deciding to go to a four game series and the, in the, you know, discussions of how those took place. And then if that influenced you at all, as far as non-conference and scheduling four game series, the way you did because of it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, we, we wanted to protect the, the, the conference schedule. We wanted to be able to kind of figure out a way to not put any of those games at risk as much as we possibly could. And just talking to the doctors group and, and the, you know, the league administration and whatnot, I mean, they just felt like, you know, not risking playing other teams and traveling in midweeks and doing those kind of things was going to lower the chances of something happening. And again, it's not to zero, but they're trying to lower the risk of, um, you know, weekend games being canceled um, and not being able to play them. And again, it's not like basketball or football where it's like, okay, let's try to find another opening here or a bye week here. We can kind of, we can kind of maneuver some games. We got one shot at it. So um, 
trying to, to kind of keep the conference uh, games um, sacred kind of thing was, was kind of the thought process of it all. And so we just figured, well, let's guarantee more games, you know, so we're not going to play midweek. So let's, let's move the midweek game to the weekends. That way we don't have to try to load up early in the year. Um, we get more conference games. So, cause there was a shot that it was going to go conference only. Like that was definitely in the discussions of not playing anything but conference. And so trying to make sure, and again, if it was like, okay, you can only play weekend series or we didn't know really. I mean, there was a lot of things moving parts around the table. So if this happens or if that happens, this will give us the most amount of games um, and kind of allow us to kind of have a full conference schedule and, and whatnot. And so um, the rest of the schedule was really just putting pieces together of who can play us. Um, you know, January 1st, um, out of the weekend series, uh, only two of the six weekends are the same. So four weekends changed on January between January 1st and January 15th. Like I was scrambling, trying to, trying to figure out how do I move this and how do I move that and, and who can I play and who cannot play. And so dealing with all these coaches and then trying to find backdoor replacements, like just in case, and then, then it all coming to fruition, but then those getting changed and then negotiating where to play. Like, I mean, it was just a, a mad dash of trying to figure what parts fit. And at the end of the day, it's just trying to, you know, we're all trying to accomplish different things, playing at home, not spending money, not staying overnight, like things like that. You're trying to, everybody had things that they were looking for needed to play on the weekends. And so how do you fit all those pieces together? And I think that the schedule came out pretty good. I mean, I like, it's going to be really, really difficult. Um, But you know, you want to be the best team in the country. You got to, you got to challenge yourselves. I think our team is prepared for that. I think we're really good. So I'm not worried about that. Um, you know, we just got to be able to control what we can control and understand that we might not start off the same record as last year and things like that, but we just got to show up and, and continue to try to get better every single day and, um, understand, embrace the challenge, embrace the schedule and base the travel, um, and put ourselves in the best situation that we can to, to put ourselves in, in the NCAA tournament at the end of the year. And everyone knows how important last season the Auburn series was when you guys went on the planes and swept them. And, and this year you, you've given yourself an opportunity to kind of do it again with another SEC top 10 team in Ole Miss. Talk about how that series came about and how, how, much, how important that one weekend will be at the end of February. Yeah. You know, I've tried to, I've tried to, do home and homes um, the last couple of years when we had Auburn and now we have Ole Miss. So they'll be back. They'll be back here next year. So just trying to get ACC and SCC type teams. I want to put ourselves in, in regional type atmospheres, um, um, put ourselves where, you know, if we don't host that other teams will host. And, and even if we are hosting, like those are the type of teams that are going to be the number two seed. So you want to play those types of teams. Uh, you want to play in those types of atmospheres. Um, and it's, you know, Auburn, I mean, especially Ole Miss, that's a rowdy place. Um, so that prepares you to, to go to a place like Tulane or Houston or Wichita or something like that where the crowds can be really kind of um, vile and, and, and getting on you guys. And so um, you want to be able to do that. Even a super regional, if we don't host a super regional, we're going to have to go to a place like Ole Miss and, and win. And so you don't want that time where you go to a regional or super regional and you're in that type of atmosphere and the kids are like, holy cow, like I've never played in this type of atmosphere before. You want them to experience it, to understand it. It also gauges where are we at? Like, I, you know, obviously last year it gauged us at a pretty good spot. And man, we got a chance to be really good. And again, that confidence just kind of grew, grew. And again, I don't think the wins, I mean, obviously the way we won, especially the later on in the, in the weekend, um, I think really, really kind of spiked our confidence. But even if you go in there and you play really tough with a fifth team in the country, even if you get swept, like, 
it, it's really a gauge of how did you play in that atmosphere? How did you play against that, you know, the top five team in the country? Like, and what do we need to be better at in order to get to that, to get to that level? So I think it's a great gauge. So whether you win three, lose three, like you just want to be competitive, but again, you, you can get blown out three times and say, all right, we got a lot of work to do. Like we got to get back to the drawing board. Like we can't carry last year's series against Auburn into this. Like, so there's a lot of teaching points that you can get out of it. So challenge ourselves, put ourselves in some rowdy situations, some rowdy um, uh, atmospheres, like, and engage on what we're, what we're, what we need to, where we want to be and what we want to be at the end of the year. Like this now gives us a gauge of, okay, over the next, you know, 12, four, uh, 13 weeks, like what do we need to be better at in order to put ourselves in the best situation to compete against these caliber type teams and regional super regionals in the college world series. Well, you mentioned teaching points. I'm curious, tell us about the, some of the new faces on this roster that you think can make an immediate impact uh, on your team. Yeah. Well, the new faces, um, you know, AJ Jones and Kenny Sir were two grad transfer pitchers. Um, you know, obviously losing Trevor and Jeff Hakinson and, and Jalen Whitehead was three really, really big losses for us. I mean, those guys were just rock solid experience. Um, I mean, Jeff was the best closer in the country. Trevor was one of the best Saturday starters in the entire country. Um, and, and Jalen was just the great, um, you know, um, uh, Swiss army knife that could start, could come in relief, could do a lot of different things, throw a lot of different, times during the week and really gave us some, um, you know, just continuity, but also, um, you know, just that calmness of a guy that had been through the wars and, and been in the trenches and all that kind of stuff that knew how to handle himself. And, uh, you know, he was going to go out and give you a great effort every time. So losing those three guys was really big. So gra- bringing in these two grad transfers just gave us some more age um, that are going to be able to step in right away and be a big part of our, our pitching staff. So um, those two guys obviously are big. And then you got, you know, three, three or four freshmen that um, are pretty good. I mean, Ben Vespi's got a chance to really help us. Um, Zach Bennett has probably the best breaking ball on our team, and he's a big kid, like has the ability, you know, a typical freshman, both of them are going to need to get their feet wet and kind of get that underneath them, get them in some, some um, you know, stressless situations and, and make them feel comfortable and then kind of increase their roles. Um, Nick Vieira and, 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 and Vince Banani, same thing. Like those two guys have really good stuff. You know, they're not as polished as, as obviously the returners yet, but those guys have the ability over the course of time to kind of get better and grow and, and understand how to pitch. And you know, they'll get to learn from watching, you know, Colton and Hunter and, and, and Kenny and, and AJ go at it and kind of get to learn how those guys go about their business. So I'm, I'm excited about those, those pitchers that I feel like can really help us. Um, you know, on the offensive side, Alex Freeland and John Montez are two just really, really special players. Alex is a switch hitting shortstop. John's a, a left-handed hitting infielder. Um, I think we're very lucky to have both of them here with the shortened draft, um, which obviously is a positive for us. I mean, um, they're just very, very talented. Um, I'm excited about their future. I think both of them are going to get a ton of playing time for us um, and um, and be able to help us. So those two guys are going to be huge, huge parts of our offense. But those those are kind of the biggest additions, the guys that are going to make the biggest impacts on our team. Um, with all you know, Again, with so many returners that we have, it's just a really good mix of young talent, with older veteran guys that are really, really good and guys that have made some jumps. I mean, I'm sure we'll get into that, but we've had some guys that have made some real serious jumps, I think, that, um, you know, are going to be really impressive. Yeah, well, I guess we can get into that now because when you look at the fall ball, your offense was really good in the fall. Who do you think really stood out there, made those biggest jumps in the fall? I mean, Nick Romano, um, I think, made the biggest jump. Uh, I mean, just from a physical standpoint, he's kind of – leaned out a little bit, just become more physical, you know, was a, a big physical kid, uh, but more of an offensive lineman than, than a linebacker kind of thing. So I think he's really short, short up his body, 
Um, just the, the, the power potential, you know, it was always there, but just the consistency of it showing up just wasn't, wasn't where it needed to be. I mean, he is just, you know, you know, last year he hit over 300, I think in 18 games, but it was very soft, like a lot of singles, a lot of ground balls that found holes that weren't hit that hard. Just, I want to say lucky, but it was, I thought a little bit, um, there's been no luck to him. I mean, the balls that he hits on the ground are just murdered. He's hitting balls off the wall over the home. I mean, leads, right, leads the team in home runs over the course of the entire fall and, and, and winter. So um, I, I just think he's made the most consistent jumper. I think he's, you know, you say, Oh, we hit over 300. He might not hit 300 this year, um, but he's got a chance to really knock in a bunch of runs, like doubles, a lot of double digit home runs, like that kind of, that kind of offense, I think can, can really um, make a, make a jump. I mean, Andrew Braid had a great night. He's out for the first four weeks with, uh, with facial injury. Um, but, you know, he made a, a huge jump for us offensively in the fall. Obviously, he, you know, he missed the entire winter. So it's going to take some time for him to get back and get in the groove. But, you know, he made a huge jump. Tom Jostin just, you know, last year was kind of really um, hit or miss. And, and this year, I just think the consistency and understanding in the game, slowing down and just that's where the veteran stuff just, the game just starts to slow down for those veterans. So um, I think those guys have made, you know, some really, really big jumps. Um, you know, Jeffrey has, has been great and been Jeffrey. So um, and Jordan Rathbone, again, just another year. And last year, you know, just kind of announced his presence with some authority, like from the year before where he wasn't very good. And, you know, his confidence level and just, again, the maturity. I mean, when you got 23-year-olds, it's way different than 18-year-olds. And so, you know, you just see the maturity of, of I mean, Rathbone, um, you know, was out for a week and comes back and hits two home runs in the first game back like well, two weeks, a week and a half ago, like he just, you know, missed some time and then comes back and two home runs in the first game back. And it's, and it's just kind of, you know, doesn't try to do too much. Isn't worried about the moment. Isn't worried about impressing anybody. Just let me get my work in. Let me, let me do my thing. And, and so just that maturity and stuff, like, you know, I think the top of our order and again, those younger guys at the bottom of the order, like as they get more at bats and stuff, I mean, I think we can be, I mean, I, I feel like we're 11 or 12 deep on guys that could play every day for us. And that gives me some opportunities to mix and match. It gives me some opportunities to, to play some defense or some offense and, you know, really studied the Rays a lot. Uh, talked to Chad Matola just about, you know, them putting in the best lineup for that pitcher and, and what his stuff is not necessarily right on right or left on left, but what does this hitter hit? Well, like what kind of pitchers does this hit? Well, um, does he hit well? And, and then being able to maneuver the lineup based on that. And, and you know, I, I won't be shocked if when we're healthy that, you know, we're putting out, you know, five different line, four different lineups a week, um, a week on the weekend of, you know, this guy playing short, this guy playing third and then maneuvering it around where this guy moves from third to second. And then these two other guys come in and, and things like that, or this guy DHs or goes to left field and, and whatnot. So, I mean, I, I think there's some maneuverability, some late game maneuverability, some pinch hit opportunities where guys, you know, we're going to have some roles that are daily changing. Like, Hey, today you're starting tomorrow. You're going to be the guy off the bench, and, but you're still going to be able to big part of this big, big part of the team and a big part of the game. So everybody needs to be ready at, at you know, at all times. The returners that had the success last year. Cause I remember we spoke a year ago. There was a lot, you know, Hey, we don't know how these guys are going to react when it comes, you know, when the games start for real. Yeah. Well, a lot of them had that success and they had that winning success even though the season came to an end, can, is that positive carry over to this year for the individuals? I know it's a new season, new team, but just having that confidence that, hey, I can be successful at this level and we can be successful what, what we're doing. Well, it's a double-edged sword, I think, because I think there's a lot of confidence that comes, comes with it. So these guys believe in themselves. They know that they can do 
there probably was some doubt. Like, I hope I can hit at this level. I hope I can, I can perform like uh, I've never done it before. Like, so I think that there's probably some, some self doubt and some, some, you know, feeling your way into the season. And then all of a sudden you, you start having that success of not only personal success, but winning, like that's just a confidence and you get some momentum and you start to believe and um, that, that doubt starts to creep out, which is what we're trying to get the kids every day to, to play free and easy. And, and the mentality of just go out there and be confident, even when you're not like trick yourself into being confident. I mean, we're trying to teach all that. The, the bad part about it is, is, we got off to a great start. Like where there's no guarantee that we're going to do that this year. So we got to be really, really careful on a guy goes over 10. Like, what does he do? How does he handle it? Does he freak out? Like, Oh my gosh, last year I was hitting 300 at this time. And now I'm hitting 100. Like, and he starts to panic and what we call red light in the mental game. Like, then he just starts to spiral out of control or, or do we have, you know, do they have the mental skills and do we do a good enough job as coaches to kind of maneuver them through those, those times if it happens. And, um, and again, I think the same thing of not getting overconfident of like, Hey, like I'm pretty good. Like this is going to be really easy and I don't need to work as hard. So, you know, I think as coaches, that's what our, our biggest thing is, is trying to make sure we maneuver through all that. And, um, but we definitely have a lot of confidence coming in. We just got to make sure that, you know, we don't, we don't get off to a bad start or something. And that, that, that spirals into the opposite direction of panic. And, and we, and we, we just start panicking and, and losing games because we're trying too hard or trying don't understand why we're not starting off the same way as last year. You're, you were right. It, it's not last year. So it's new, but we definitely carry that confidence um, over from last year. Zeroing in on a couple of hitters, but one Pablo Ruiz stands out to me because for a stretch last season, as a true freshman, he was your best offensive player for some stretches. Where have you seen him make some strides in year two? Well, I think just his body, just getting stronger, the consistency, um, <clears throat> you know, he, he was very streaky he's still kind of streaky, but just trying to get that out of him, understand that, Hey man, like you got to be able to do different things and hit the ball to all parts of the park. And um, we got to be able to be better at pitch recognition. So I, I mean, I think he's really worked on all that stuff. Um, you know, he put him in the outfield last year for the first time in, in his career. So I think he's more comfortable out there playing defense, which I think takes less pressure off of him offensively, um, you know, where he's just kind of outfield, like maybe a little nervous and unsure. And now I think, feel like you know he doesn't worry about the the defense so hopefully that'll help his offense um so I mean he obviously is super talented and you know plays so hard and um plays with just like fire coming out of his out of his out of the back of his head and, and it just the energy that he brings is contagious and it's just a you know that guy that just starts it all for us I feel like um you know but his ability to hit in the middle of the order and knock some runs in and do some special things so I mean He's definitely gotten more consistent, I think, and, you know, excited to kind of see him now as, as, a, as you know, kind of a veteran, be able to kind of take what he learned last year and just, and just kind of make it even better. A year ago, you talked about your pitching staff as a whole, the deepest you've had with quality arms, especially in the bullpen. Obviously, you lost some big pick uh, guys that we talked about earlier. How do you feel about your starters and your bullpen going into this season from a depth standpoint and quality standpoint? Yeah, I think quality. I mean, this is by far our best starting rotation that we've had since I've been here. Um, it, when Sir was back, like we got three legitimate aces. Hunter Patterson made, made a huge jump from last year. Um, you know, obviously Colton has gotten better. Um, both those guys have Friday night stuff in this league. They're both top five round draft picks. Uh, Kenny, um, you know, has been through the been through the fire. Been a Friday night guy. Been in big situations been pitcher of the year, like knows how to handle himself, knows how to go through a season. Um, So, I mean, I feel like we have three legitimate aces, which I don't feel like we've ever had here. Um, And so that's really, really awesome. Um, 
And then when you add Jackson Clare, who might be the best pro prospect out of all of them, David Litchfield, um, I mean, those, and then again, AJ Jones, um, those five guys are the best group of five that we've ever had since I've been here. Um, You know, last year we had, now the bullpen, we lose, we lose, we lose Jeff and have, and if Jack and Litch are still back there, you know, now we just, Jay well, Hunsaker has made some, some strides forward, you know, third year guy. Like I expect him that he could kind of fill that Jalen role. Um, you know, we just need one or two more guys for the depth that we had last year. We need one or two guys to really step up the McKay's Lepkowski back and being healthy. Now um, some of those young freshmen, like, if we can get one, two, especially three, Eli McCormick, who has shown flashes of being our best, our best bullpen guy, possibly, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But just doesn't have the consistency yet. Like again, never pitched in a real game. So it's hard. Um, so, I mean, we have the ability to have the same depth, if not more depth than we did last year. Right now, I don't think we have that, uh, but we have the top end in terms of the top five are better than we did last year. So um, the starting, I think rotation is, is, is improved uh, greatly, especially, you know, with the Sunday guy, just a huge improvement. Um, but then, um, you know, our bullpen, you know, Jack and Litch, obviously a year older. Jack is even better than he was last year. Litchfield, you know, the same. So just the age and growth and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, if we can just have one or two, Billy McKay, again, Nolan Lepkowski, Eli McCormick, um, the freshman that I mentioned before, um, Ryan Saltstall has been better, you know. So those guys, Nick Otilla, I mean, all those guys, I mean, none of them had huge, huge roles last year. Um, but we need, we're going to need at least one, possibly two. And if we can get three, four of those guys to, to really step up their game, um, and pitch like they can, I mean, we've seen the seen flashes of it in practice where those guys are doing really, really well. We just, it's gotta be a consistent basis and they got to do it in real games and, and all that. And that's, that's the big question mark, just like it was offensively last year. Pablo looked great in practice, but can he do it in a game? Jeffrey was having a monster fall and everything, but can he do it in a real game? Like then when there's video of him, can they make adjustments? Like, so the same thing, like, from a depth side on the pitching side, I think our top end is better. Um, and the depth right now, it probably isn't as good as it was going into last year, but we have the ability to be deeper than we were if some of those guys step up. Well, when we talked to you yesterday about the rotation, you, you know, you obviously said that Colton Gordon and, and Hunter would be one and two, and then Sunday would be TBD. And then you started listing some guys who would maybe start, you know, go into that Sunday spot. The first guy you mentioned was Jackson Clair, and maybe I was misreading it, but does Jack have an established role? It seems to most people like, because of the success he had last year, such a dominant late inning guy, eighth inning guy, that he would yeah. be the natural replacement to Hickinson. Do you yeah. see that, or is he sort of just variable in what he can do? I think going into the January, that was the plan. Obviously, Serwa being out has kind of made us adjust plans a little bit. Um, I mean, I want Jack, again, could be our best arm. And if not, he's one of our top three arms. So I just don't want to not have that guy pitching on a weekend or whatnot, um, especially mm-hmm. in this situation. So, um, you know, it's, I think it's going to be a situation where if we don't use him on Friday and Saturday, then, okay, how do we, how do we extend him a little bit? Um, he, he, I mean, again, we weren't sure with Kenny and Kenny didn't, you know, been, been hurt and stuff and, you know, not sure if Hunter was going to be the guy um, that he was like, there was a chance that Jack was going to slide into that Saturday, that Saturday role. So all fall, we had kind of extended him just in case, again, if there's an injury or something like we wanted, you know, we want our best arms to be out there. So, we had kind of planned just in case and just kind of be able to go either way if we needed to, knowing that he had the experience in the back end of the bullpen. We just wanted to extend his, his pitch count and stuff. And so he was prepared to do either. Obviously, with Kenny being out here the first week or two or three or whatnot, um, you know, I just don't want to, you know, again, that lack of experience in the bullpen other than Jack and Litch 
it, it, it doesn't afford me the ability to just say, hey, let me go throw some inexperienced guy in the game on Friday night to get a save. Like, I, I just don't know how comfortable I feel with that. So um, if I got to use Jack on Friday night, I'm going to use Jack on Friday night to close. Um, and if I got to use him on Saturday, I'll use him on Saturday. And then, again, I'll just readjust the, the thought process as we get through each game. And if that means he's got to start on Sunday, then that's that, if we feel like that's what's best for us. And, you know, again, it's just going to be so many variables on Fridays and Saturdays, um, especially these first couple of weeks of what happens that where we, where he slides in. And, um, and again, somehow, how do those other guys do, you know, Nolan Lukoski has been 90, 93 in games and whatnot. And that's what he was as a freshman in, in our inner squads. And then when we put him in the game against um, Seminole state and, and, and um, St. Leo, he was 96, 97. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen again this time or not, because we haven't played another team. So maybe, you know, we, maybe when he gets in the game that, that gives us that extra bullpen piece and all that kind of stuff. So um, th- there's a lot of different things. And then I also, you know, what, what does that look like for the the weekday games? And then we go to four games. Like, what does that mean? Like, you know, um, if those guys in the bullpen, Litchfield and Lepkowski and McKay, those guys, Elijah, Eli McCormick, those guys really step up and become those guys. Like Jack might be best suited for us to be one of our four starters going into conference. So a lot of question marks in terms of his role. He, he's free, I mean, he's willing to do whatever. I just want to make sure that again, he's one of our top three arms. I want to make sure we're using him the right way and the most to get the most out of him. That gives us the best chance to win as many games as we possibly can. You almost have to be flexible with playing the four-game series doubleheaders and the way the schedule plays out. You have to be flexible with the roster. You talked about me talking with Chad Matola. The Rays have always been very versatile. You know, guys could close on a given day or start on a given day in different positions. It sounds like you may have to be like that this year as well, be kind of adaptive to the situation because it's a unique schedule. You're not used to playing four-game uh, series every week, so you can't really have certain guys pitch every day as a result of that so you have to be very versatile yeah no doubt i mean you want to protect the guy you want to make sure that they're as good at the end of the year they are in the beginning so you want to make sure you don't overuse them for that aspect you obviously don't want to put them in situations where they're going to get hurt um so i mean a situation where jack comes in and closes the first game of a double header like do we bring him back in the second game if there's a save situation well maybe probably not early on in the year um, maybe in the last three or four weeks of the season that's something that happens um so, well, you better have somebody that you feel comfortable that can close. And what happens if you lose, use Litchfield and Sinclair in that first game? Well, then now they're both gone. So you better have guys that, that can come in and, and finish games for you um, that aren't just those two guys. That's where the depth is going to come in. So it's definitely going to um, – it's going to show the depth of the teams, I think. The doubleheaders, the four-game weekends are going to show the depths of the pitching staff, depths of your catching, um, even the depths of your offense. I mean, playing four games is a grind. I mean, now we're going to have a lot of recovery time during the week. It's not like you're playing – you know, a Tuesday or a Wednesday game. So you have time to recover in that aspect. But as you get through the, as get through the weekends and you get to that third and fourth game, like, and then you got the Saturday game and then the quick turnaround the Sunday, like how do some of those guys offensively handle it? You know, the catchers, like you got to really protect them and, and really make some, some maneuvers that are going to give the guys the, you know, the best opportunity to be successful long-term in terms of, you know, be great if we're, hitting 320 as a team going into conference. But then if we run out of gas and we're hitting 210 the last month of the season, like that's not what we're looking for. We're trying to get better as the year goes on, not worse. So how do we put ourselves in the best situation to continually have growth and continually get better every single day so that we're better on June 1st than we are on February 19th. So definitely some maneuverability is going to be needed. That's why the depth is going to be important. And we got to, we got to need some of those guys to step up, um, especially on the mound to, to be able to, to be able to take some of that pressure off of all, you know, those guys at the top. I have a couple of quick final questions, but one I wanted to get to, we've talked about Kenny Sirwa a little bit, but one thing I've heard that's intrigued me is 
how much are, is he going to feature a knuckleball this season? Yeah, I don't know. You know, that's a great question. Like, um, I mean, he has one and it's, it's not bad. So, you know, again, I haven't seen him really use it in a game yet. Like where, how, how does he bring that to the table? What does it do? Is it just kind of a shock pitch? Is it something that he uses a lot? Like, I don't think I, I haven't really got to that point where I've asked, you know what I mean? I'm just hoping to get him on a mound and, and get him back and with knuckleball or not, like the rest of it's too good anyways, but you add that knuckleball and there's a chance that, you know, you might see some crazy stuff. So we'll see. To be, then, to be, go ahead, Eric. Go ahead. To be, um, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. I, I want to ask you, actually, you mentioned we, you spoke to Chad Mattola earlier. Me and Murph spoke to Chad recently. Yeah. Uh, and he had a lot of great things to say about you. Obviously, he said he's spoken to the team last year and he follows the team and you guys have talked and yeah. things like that. What does it mean to have someone like that who's an alum, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, maybe a uh, position player in UCF baseball history, having the success he had with the Rays, getting to the World Series, but being able to pick his brain uh, in a big league level and how it works things and, and kind of tossing some ideas there. What was that? What's that like? I mean, it's huge for me just personally, like just so even away from UCF, just to have somebody that has that kind of knowledge, especially from that type of team that does so many, um, you know, kind of new age analytical uh, things that maybe, um, you know, the rest of the, the country doesn't do, like just trying to get an insight to what they do. And obviously he can't give me all the information, but he's able to kind of give me some information and give me thoughts and ideas. And I, I bounce some ideas off to him of, hey, like, well, here's what I'm thinking with my guys. Like, what do you think? What would you do? Or how would you handle this? So just to have somebody at that level that's had the success that he's had is doing such a great job with, with their offense. And again, just doing different things than maybe the Yankees are doing, you know what I mean? Or the Red Sox that are just going out there with dudes all over the place. They're having to mix and match and fill parts with, you know, guys that other teams didn't want. And they had to find how to bring those guys in and, and find what their strengths and weaknesses are and then exploit those strengths and weaknesses for a positive outcome. So. I think just listening to him talk just gave me a bunch of ideas, but to have that guy on a Rolodex and just be able to call him anytime I want to. And obviously he lives here in Orlando. So, Hey man, like uh, let's go have, let's go have, let's go have lunch and and be able to do that means something to me personally from a, from a UCF standpoint, like I'm a huge alumni guy. I understand that big time. And I teach like, you know, I talk to the players all the time about leaving a legacy and planting trees and, and those, you know, you don't get to reap the benefits of that tree, but, the future does, you know what I mean? And so, you know, we have this beautiful stadium and, and that team that went, you know, 50 something and whatever, and was the number one seed in the regional in 2000 and 2001, which are pretty much the best two teams ever. Like because of those guys, like we get the stadium, you know what I mean? So we, we get to, in, in you know, they had one pair of shoes, one t-shirt, <clears throat> one uniform for the home and one uniform for the road. They played on the field across campus. That was more like a high school field. Um, you know what I mean? Like the, so we get to reap all the benefits of what others have done and, and put this program on the map. And um, so I, I feel the same about every alum. So, I mean, Chad Matola, I mean, he, he raises the bar of being the highest drafted player and, and ever to come here. And, and so we talk to the players a lot about that. They know a lot about Jason Arnold and D Brown and, and coach Bergman and um, Jim Horvath, who's the first drafted player ever in the history of UCF. So like, I want to teach them about the history. Um, so having Chad come back or Jason come back, like to have those guys come back and speak and just the kids to get a visual and understanding of, you know, when they tell the stories of, Hey, I played at Tinker field or I played on the South side of campus. And we, 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 uh, we uh, dressed in the, in the dorms and drove over and we didn't have our locker room was miles away and the locker room was, was gross. And we got one t-shirt, like all that stuff. Like 
just want them to understand that like that guy was a fifth overall pick and he didn't need seven shirts. He didn't need the best equipment. He didn't need the best lock. He didn't need any of that stuff. Like, and he was still, you know, one pick ahead of Jeter. You know what I mean? Like, like you don't need all this stuff, but you get it all because of what, because of thing, people like him and teams like them and because of coach Bergman and what they built and, and so having those guys come speak, I think, is a visual and, and, and an understanding of, man, this is, this is somebody who cares about our program. It's somebody that helped build a program that planted trees that I'm taking advantage of. And one, I owe it to him to go out every day and, put the, and be my best and, and to play and to continue building this program. But two, also, like, I see what that guy's done for me, and I want to be able to come back and, and talk about the things that our team did or that I personally did to help move the program forward so that in 10 years when we've won three national championships or something like that, we can come, you can come back and speak to the team and say, even though I only won one or I never won any, those guys, I was part of those. You know, I always talk about um, there was a, <clears throat> when Clemson won their first national championship, they had uh, their middle linebacker was the white guy, like tatted, like beard, like goatee. It was really, really long. I can't remember his name now. Um, but, you know, he got up on stage after winning the national championship. He said, this is for Taj Boyd and Sammy Watkins and, and the guys that were the first of the Dabo Sweeney era that really started the culture that started all, they didn't win the national championship, but if it wasn't for those guys. The, the path wouldn't have been where it was to get to that national championship. And I thought it was awesome for that guy to realize that and understand that and to thank those guys for setting the tone, for setting the culture, for being the leaders and for really setting that program on the track that it is now. And so again, that, that's something that I've taught way before that, but that was like a great, example of the things that we teach in terms of leaving a legacy and planting trees. And, you know, those guys like Chad Matola, like, I want to make sure that, you know, when we, when we host for the first time, like, I want to know that those guys that should have hosted it in 2000 or 2001, like that those guys understand that, that, that the only reason that we are doing it is because of what they did and the things that they had to endure and the things that they did. And so, uh, but having Chad and being able to come and speak to the team, like, but any alum, like, to me, that just enhances what we're trying to accomplish, what we're trying to, to get the kids to understand and really gives them a, a, a visual of what it used to be like here and how lucky that we are and, and how much we owe it to all those guys to go out every day and take advantage of what we have. And, Coach, my last question is sort of baseball adjacent, but I remember you telling me a few years ago that Charles Johnson growing up was your guy. You know, as a catcher South Florida, Miami, his son has transferred and now play, will now play wide receiver for UCF. Yeah, uh, oh, I remember Charles and say he can come by the field anytime he wants to. I got his number immediately and said, "CJ, you are welcome to come and hang out <laughs> of the baseball field anytime you want to." Like, um, and then we've met and talked before, but I didn't have his number or anything like that. So um, obviously, we have a connection just with Miami and us being both being catchers. He'd come back for alumni games, and I mean, it, it was the coolest coolest thing for me ever when he would come back for an alumni game and I'd catch and he'd come in and smack me on the shin guards with his bat, and I mean, I almost passed out like every time, like, and I mean, I just was in awe of the guy. I mean, he's my hero growing up. He's the reason why I'm, I play baseball and why I wanted to be a catcher and why I wanted to go to Miami. And um, when I saw that on, I didn't, I mean, I knew he had a son and I didn't know that he was at Tennessee. And then all of a sudden I saw on Twitter that he was coming here and I immediately got on the phone. I got his number and I texted him immediately. And, and he's like, I just left. I just moved him in, you know? So we had a conversation. I said, look, you are welcome here anytime. Like, I don't care. I will stop <laughs> practice. You can, talk to, you can take whatever you want to do, sir, sir. You can do whatever you want to do. So um, I'm excited. Hopefully I'll get a chance to see him again and uh, when he's back in town and, and whatnot that he'll come hang out with us and I get a chance to hang out with him. So it'd be cool. But yeah, it's pretty awesome. I was, I was jacked up. I was like, I texted, I texted Hypo and I was like, uh, Hey, uh, do you know who my hero is? And you know, who I grew up like idolizing. And he was like, he like named off somebody like, you know, 
like Ken Griffey Jr. I mean, it was, I can't remember who he said, but it was just some like major player, you know, that was probably from my era. And I was like, no, dude, Charles freaking Johnson. And he was like, oh, like, you, you got to give him to come over. I'm like, dude, I already got his number like three minutes ago. Like I'm, I'm reaching out. Don't worry about it. So I said, I appreciate you bringing his son here. So I could, I could relive some uh, of my uh, childhood dreams here with him, with him here. So it was pretty funny. That's awesome. I got one last question for you, Greg, before we go. Uh, a general baseball question too. Um, the professional baseball agreement was just renegotiated between Major League yep. Baseball and Minor League Baseball, and it's a total restructuring of the relationship between the two. And they're, they're, they bumped it down to 120 teams, and so that means that there's fewer professional opportunities. And obviously, you know, you know, we all agree that that's that, that that's not the best thing for baseball in general. But what does that mean for college baseball in particular because now does does college baseball take a more significant role in the development of players and coaches now that there are a few opportunities fewer opportunities at the professional level yeah I think definitely I mean for the next couple of years it's going to be a really kind of sad you know and I think I agree with you when we talk about you know you know some of my players who probably would have played pro ball are not going to get the opportunity to play pro ball now um and so that, you know, for the next five years, maybe like that transition period is going to be difficult just to handle of kids, you know, just not getting that chance and, and kind of expecting the chance or knowing that they, they could have the chance as that phases out, just like anything in change, you know what I mean? Like, you know, when they tore down Rosenblatt, like I was distraught, how could they do this? You know, now the kids don't even know what Rosenblatt is. And like, they, they just look at TD Ameritrade as the Mecca of college baseball, where for probably people like my age who played in it and then you had the transition, it's, it's a much different feeling. So in five years when it's the norm of, Hey man, not everyone gets to play professional baseball, like only the best of the best do like it's going to become more normalized. And, but until that happens, it sucks for some of my guys to say, man, like you're not going to get a chance, but then in the long term, like you're absolutely right. I mean, already with the draft being shortened, you know, I felt like we got, you know, two or three players in this draft that, you know, that are freshmen that we normally don't get. Um, and I think that, a lot more players are going to see the value in college baseball, understanding that, um, you know, the new norm for minor league baseball is if you get drafted out of high school, you're going to go sit in a minor league facility, not play another team. You're going to practice an inner squad for two or three years before you get to go to a ball and play like affiliated baseball. Um, and that means Arizona and Florida all summer for three summers, like and the competition won't be there. It's going to be about developing. Um, which I don't think is a terrible thing. I just think that we're doing the same things in developing players um, and we get to compete. And I think that that's going to be a, probably a, a really good option that maybe, you know, the first rounder is going to be the first rounder, but those second, third, fourth, fifth rounders in the past that were signing and going to minor league baseball, that might not happen anymore. And I, I, it's not going to happen anymore. And, and there's going to be less, less teams that are picked so there's going to be more kids that there's going to be an influx of talent into college baseball uh the parity the talent level is going to be really different i think we're going to end up becoming more of a minor leagues um per se than we have been in the past where there's always guys who are getting drafted out of college but i think you're going to see more of that where the first round is going to be maybe more college guys than before and, and which is good i also like the fact that you know, you get these guys that have great careers in college and then they disappear for four or five years in the minor leagues and you never hear from them again. And all of a sudden they pop back up in the big leagues. Or maybe this speeds the process of just more like football and basketball where those guys are building brands in college and then they go right to the NFL and they're playing on Sundays and they're on TV and they're doing all that stuff. Like, how do we get more like that where, you know, the brand that we help build for these kids like kind of goes right into 
um, the next level. And we kind of see them in the big leagues faster. So maybe less levels will speed up that process, get younger guys to the big leagues, um, kind of get out of the, you know, the 40 something year olds that are, you know, just because of their, their experience, they're still playing or whatnot. And they got to change some of the financial structures too. And we got to pay people earlier in their careers and, you know, that's just going to be tough, but um, you know, we're, we're paying too much money to guys on the back end of their careers when they should be getting paid on the front end of their careers in the, in the, you know, the prime of their career, they're getting rewarded on the back end because of the, the collective bargaining agreement. So hopefully that'll change too. And, uh, but the next couple of years will be tough for, for our college guys that aren't going to get that, that kind of are hoping to get that free agent deal or that 40th rounder. Um, but when that becomes normal-ish again in five years and that becomes the, the set, you know, thing, um, the influx of talent in college baseball is going to make us even a better product than we already are. Greg Lovelady, head coach of UCF Baseball, joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret. The opener is Friday, two days from when we're recording this, uh, February 19th, at home against the FAU Owls. Uh, and, of course, then they go down to FAU, and then they're back home uh, for Tuesday against Stetson. So. That's- Old, old, uh, old faces in the same places as before. So it's, it's just like a normal year, right, Greg? Everything's yep. to- totally normal. So good talking to you, man. Thanks for spending time with us and uh, best of luck on Friday night. Best of luck the rest of the season. We'll see you there. Thanks guys. I appreciate you having me. Special thanks to Greg Lovelady for his help. Also thanks to uh, Colin Yeager for helping us out. Also getting the interview all set up. So uh, when we get back, we will uh, wrap up our preview of UCF baseball and hear from some of the players, David Litchfield, uh, Hunter Patterson and Jordan Rathbone when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast 2021 UCF Baseball Preview Show. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast 2021 UCF Baseball Preview. We just got done hearing from Greg Lovelady, uh, the head coach of UCF, who is already in his fifth year. Can you believe Greg's been here for five years already? Unbelievable. Man. I what, what a I job. Can't. I think I did... Like, I think I did my first interview with Black and Gold Banneret with Greg Lovelady. So, yeah, <laughs> basically him and I appeared at the same time. What what a what a great job he has done with this team. And I feel like, you know, he is – he's chomping at the bit. He, I think that I sense that the, the the bitter taste from last year, the way it ended, you know, he's, re- he's really anxious to get this team back out there and back playing because I think he – because he knows he's got a good – squad coming back and we heard from some of the players at the uh at their most recent uh preseason media availability guys and um i want to start once again by talking about the offense and you guys heard about heard from jordan rathbone here but um you know this is going to be the place where like we said at the top of the show the biggest question marks are so yeah jordan actually was uh was quite uh, i thought was a little bit of a, a surprise with the bat last year at an ops of 889 um, you know, he had uh, 21 hits in uh, 67 at bats. That was uh, third on the team and hit three home runs. That was tied for the team lead with uh, mm-hmm. Tom Jostin and um, and Pablo Ruiz. But you know, he's a big bat coming back for UCF, and with uh, Dalton Wingo gone now, they're going to rely on him even more, aren't they, Murph? Absolutely, and and he really made his presence felt in that Auburn series where he was really maybe the best player on the field that weekend. Uh, hit, Hit three home runs all in that all in that series with seven RBIs. Uh, I, I, you know, he is to me the leader of this offense. Not only because you know he's a, a redshirt senior, he's 23 years old and all that, but he'll be batting cleanup. 
And he's the guy that, you know, when this offense struggles, he's going to be one of the guys right in the middle of that lineup that needs to dig them out because uh, he's got that pop and that power. Um, and we talked to him earlier this week about, you know, being a leader and what he sees from this offense uh, going into 2021. Uh, with our offense, I just think we have a lot of different tools and a lot of different ways we can win. Uh, we have guys top top to bottom that I think can do big things just if they stay within themselves, I think. Uh, Nick Romano is probably going to have a big year this year. Um, he started off pretty good last year, but I think he'll show some better power numbers this year as well. We got guys like Tom and Pablo who, uh, with just another year of experience, I think they're going to be really, really good for us too. So it's just a matter of us doing all what we want to do at the plate and uh, just passing the baton to the next guy, just going up there, making tough at bats for the pitchers, every single uh, guy throughout the game. And I just think it's pretty, it's going to be pretty tough to get, the 27 outs an easy way. Like we're going to be really gritty at the plate. We're going to fight with two strikes, drive runners in, do the right things. Be we're, we're a very coachable team. So I think we're just going to stay within the confines of our team offense and good things are going to happen. No one's going to have to go out of, go out of their way to do something crazy every week to get us wins. We have enough depth where if we just do what we need to do, I think we'll be just fine. Jordan, there's a couple of uh, high caliber freshmen in that line on that offense with Alex Freeland and John Montez. Uh, I know the, the, the guys were the coaching staff was happy to have them because of the short draft, uh, happy to have them on campus. What have you seen from those freshmen? I like those guys a lot. I think uh, the main thing I've seen from the freshmen and just the transfers coming in as a whole is just they kind of see what we have here. They see how we treat each other, how we act to each other. We're all we're all literally best friends just trying to go after our goal and after our mission and be the best we can be. So I think they fit into that nicely. They're not trying to um, do anything crazy or they're not nervous or scared of the moment. They just want to be part of a special program that we're trying to build. And we talk about leaving our legacy all the time. And I think they're doing the right things early on to get their body moving in the right way, getting the experience playing against us every day, just competing it's been good to see like they look they look like they're a part of the UCF program. They're exactly what we want. And when we bring players in, so I expect them both to do good things this year. And then the years coming up too. I think I think Montez is going to be really, really good in a, this year, even or next year, the year after. I think he, he has a pretty stroke from, from the left side. And then Freeland's obviously a very talented kid. So I expect a lot from both of them eventually and even this year. Jordan, not only because of your experience and your age, but also statistically, you had a really good year last year. Do you take ownership of this offense? I mean, like personally, do you see this this lineup and say to yourself that that it sort of begins with you, that you see yourself as the, the head of this offense? Um, I don't necessarily think of it like that. I just think that I have a plan that Teddy and the other coaches – make with all of our hitters and I know that if I execute my plan at the plate and do what I need to do I think I'm gonna help the team a lot and and fill that role for what we need we got a lot of guys we got we got Jeffrey Pena who's maybe the fastest player in the country that's probably gonna lead off for us so I know that he gets things going probably gonna be on third base within a couple pitches a lot of games this season so I know that if I can just do my deal swing at the right pitches drive some runs in I think it's gonna lead to a a lot of good things with the team as a whole but I don't feel that pressure that I have to do too much or do something to lead the team. I'm just going to do, do my own job and stick with my process, make sure my routines are good every day. And then 
I think I'm going to contribute the way I'm supposed to contribute and everybody else is going to do their thing too. We, uh, as an offense, we all trust each other and we all, we all get fired up to see each other have success. So I'm looking forward to see a lot of my boys hit some home runs and drive some runs in and do some things like that this year too. And you were asked about the offense earlier, but specifically with power, you know, replacing Dalton's power, you have power. Obviously Nick Romano can drive the ball to all fields. Ben rushing has power. Where is that sort of like sudden pop going to come from this year? Anybody who has stood out to you? Um, I don't know if anybody stood up like that, but I know that we have, we have multiple guys in the lineup that can definitely, definitely hit a good amount of homers, whether it's, I think that just be like two through six or two through seven, our lineup, whether it's uh, me, uh, Tom Jostin, Romano, Pablo, Josh Crouch, it's all these guys. I see them. They drive the ball in practice against our arms. Like we'll see guys hitting home runs against Hunter, pa- Hunter Patterson and Colton and things like that. And so we know if, they're going to have success against those top level arms who are probably draft guys. We think they're going to drive runs in and hit for some power in the season too. So I expect us to hit a lot of homers and hit a lot of doubles. And this has been less of a concern to our, to our hitting culture as a whole. Like we don't really worry about where the power is going to come from because we know that we got some depth in all areas. We're going to drive runs in. We're going to, we're going to hit some homers and we're going to steal some bags. We're just going to try to beat you as many ways as possible. And, we're just, we're just really confident. We're ready to go. Jordan Rathbone talking about UCF's offense. By the way, he led the team last year with 17 RBI. Uh, that was seven more than anyone else. Matt Archer had 10 and Tom Justin had 10. But uh, that's 17 runs batted in in the first 18, game, in, in 18 games last year, which, you know, granted, he was, you know, super hot in the Auburn series, but that, that's, that's record pace. We could talk all about pace all we want, but the guy knows how to drive in runs is the bottom line. Absolutely. And, and as I was saying, like, he's going to have to be that guy again. Uh, you know, obviously you can't drive and runs without guys getting on in front of you. So it's going to be important for the likes of Jeffrey Pena and Pablo Ruiz um, and possibly Nick Romano, depending on how uh, Greg wants to shape the lineup to get on base. But in those situations, Jordan's going to have to come through in the clutch uh, quite often for this offense. Yeah. Now I want to take a look over at the pitching staff and we're going to take, and we're going to, Start with the um, starters last year, and and really this is where UCF was making their hay through the first eighteen games. You know, last year they they had a team ERA combined of two point one seven. Four pitchers had ERAs of zero. Three of them had made at least six appearances as well. Uh, the only one who didn't was Nolan Lipkowski, but. It looked like the it looked like the pitching staff was off to a fantastic start. Um, Jackson Clare was four and zero last year with a one point three five and eight appearances, no starts though. Um, but the uh, it, but Jalen Whitehead, uh, who had three starts, was one and one zero point nine five, and then uh, you also had Trevor Holloway who was three and one with a one point one nine. And Joe Sheridan, who is now at Notre Dame, who is two and zero with a three point three two. But I was really intrigued by what Greg had to say in his talk with us about how this might be the best rotation he's ever had at UCF. Yeah, and that's that's high praise considering they've had pretty good rotations under Greg, but with Colton Gordon, you know, really shining now and coming into his own as an ace of the staff at the top, they've brought in AJ Jones from Jacksonville, Kenny Surwa. Um, from Edwardsville or Southern Illinois, Edwardsville, uh, to sort of give link to that staff and experience. 
And maybe the highest upside guy on that staff is Hunter Pattison. Uh, 2019, drafted by the Cubs, decides to forego that, come to UCF, showed flashes of that potential in uh, his first year as a freshman here at UCF, but you know, I think also had the ups and downs that typically freshmen do have. I will say, though, guys, in, in fall ball, he, he was outstanding. 11 two-thirds innings for, for Hunter, 14 strikeouts, .78 ERA, and a 159 opponent's batting average during fall this season. Greg has been uh, singing his praises all uh, you know all, all in the lead-up to this season, and we got to talk to Hunter on Tuesday about how he has improved going into his sophomore season. I definitely think the mentality changed. Um, and, like, I definitely think I've grown my confidence. You know, I'm like, last year, uh, not, you know, the biggest, baddest guy on the mound. You know, you got a lot of guys in front of me. So, like, this year I feel like I'm a top guy. So, I got to feel the role. What did you feel like you learned during summer ball that maybe even helped you into fall ball? Because you had a, you had a really successful fall ball season. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just like, I just thought like no one's going to be me and I have the best stuff out there. So like, I thought the hitters were, you know, they were fine. I mean, if they're going to do anything against me, like go at it. Like I'm going to come at you with all my stuff. So. Coach Lovely talked about Colton being the Friday starter. Just what have you seen from, from Colton being, I guess, the leader of this staff? Colton's just a different breed. I mean, he works day in, day out. Like it just seems like he's always at the field. Uh, asking questions, talking with Audie, you know, he's always, always trying to be better. And, uh, you know, I kind of like put the fire in him, I feel like. So I kind of like, I'm right behind him. Like I'm right there. So like, I got to like fight with him just like, but I, I mean, he deserves to be the Friday night guy. Hunter Patterson of UCF, one of the starting pitchers out there talking with us at uh, UCF media day. Of course, you know, we talked about how good, the starting staff is for UCF, but we always talk about the bullpen because you just never know what you're going to get from college baseball teams in terms of bullpen. But um, Eric Lopez, you, we were talking, uh, you know, earlier I mentioned about how good Jackson Clare was. You know, he got a lot of work out of the bullpen in those first 18 games and actually led the team in wins with four, even though he, he didn't make a single start. Uh, eight appearances, he was 4-0 and with a 1.35. Um, and... Figures to be a key part of the bullpen this year once again, like we talked about with Greg Lovelady, but he's not the only guy out there who's going to be uh, relied upon, is he? No, and that's why I think his role is fascinating to me because, as Greg kind of told us, you know, Jack's probably going to be in the bullpen, but, you know, they wouldn't be afraid to start him, especially with Kenny Serwa probably uh, out at the beginning there, right, Murph? I mean, that's the impression I got is – he could be in the bullpen, but he also could start if they have to start him as well, which uh, he's called him the best prospect on the team there. And with him and you got a guy like Litchfield coming back, that might be kind of gives you that flexibility, especially with a four-game series. Yeah, I mean, I think when Kenny Surwa is healthy, he would slot into that Sunday spot. But Surwa right now is being bothered by a rib cage injury. He'll probably miss the first couple of weekends, maybe three of the season. So, the Sunday starter is kind of going to be up in the air for a bit. And so maybe that's, you know, and so they'll, they'll throw different guys out there. I thought it was interesting to hear Greg talk on Tuesday that Jackson Clare might get the start because he was such, so dominant in an eighth inning role last year. Uh, and that he would just be a natural fit for closer. But I think the reason why they would consider starting him is because, you know, you don't want to throw someone else out there uh, who may not be as good 
and all of a sudden you, you, you're behind 2 nothing or 3 nothing. You, you if you get Jack out there and you get him for a couple of innings on a weekend where maybe he hasn't been used yet, you can throw him two innings, maybe two two plus. You know, you have a pretty good chance of, of giving your offense time to get going and, and establish an early lead. So that it's and that's one of the things that is again going to be truly key for this team as they head into uh, this 2021 season. So we heard from one of the guys in the bullpen, David Litchfield, last year. Uh, again, eight appearances, tied for the team lead. He finished two and zero with a zero point seven three earned run average, and uh, he described sort of his role going into the bull in the bullpen and how that's going to figure into UCF success this year. I mean, the you know the sky was the limit for that team in in my opinion. You know, it didn't matter whether we were ranked. You know, I don't I don't even know what we finished twelve, eleven, whatever. Um, that team always kind of, kind of had the uh, the mindset that we were the number one team in the country. Didn't know, you know, didn't matter who we were playing, uh, who was on the mound. It didn't matter any of that. So, you know, unfortunate that it, that it had to end. Um, but I mean, I'm, I think everyone um, was on the same uh, train that you know we were going to go do things that UCF baseball team has never done before. David, coming into this year, I mean, obviously in the past few years, you've been a middle relief guy, but now with Jeffrey Higginson gone, we all know Jack Sinclair's back there, but it sounds like in some of the stuff I've been reading that you might be figuring into the ninth inning situation. I mean, uh, can you describe what you think your role would be on this team? Um, I mean, Jeff Higginson's a, a really big role to, to fill, um, you know, for anybody. So um, I definitely think that I, I'm kind of sliding towards that role, but, you know, Jack Sinclair is also going to be in there, especially when we get to these these four game series on the weekend. Um, you know, I think that, you know, me and Jack Sinclair are going to be the ones trying to hold it down there at the end of the game, whether I'm throwing the ninth inning or, or he's throwing the ninth inning. You know, there might be situations where we have to throw more than, you know, three outs to get a save for the team. But um, that's definitely a role that I, you know, I'm being asked to, to fill this year. David, how would you say that you have improved from, from last year to this year, either stuff-wise or mentality? How have you become a better pitcher? Um, yeah, I think I've developed more than, you know, last year I just relied a lot on my fastball. Um, and then throughout the fall, I did a little bit of um, starting or, you know, extended extended outings just to um, have more opportunities to throw, you know, uh, a breaking ball and in, in, uh, in a changeup. And I think that, you know, my breaking ball and changeup definitely improved um, doing that, uh, which would allow me to uh, throw, you know, possibly um, a little bit extended out of the bullpen. If not, you know, maybe pick up a start here and there. I'm lucky. All right. That was uh, Litchfield there from Media Day. And I thought it was interesting what Chris Greg talked about, me hoping a guy, one or two guys step up. But Murph, the St. Clair deal really so fascinated me. It reminds me a little bit of Zach Rogers, who was here, who was a guy that was used as a starter, but also as a closer on a particular conference weekend. And a lot of times it would depend on how the series played out. Do you need him to close a game early in the series or do you, you know, is he available to start? I, I think that could be the case with Jack early in the season, especially when we get into conference play. And I think that's why a guy like Litchfield is so pivotal because if he could be a lockdown guy in that bullpen, that gives Greg that flexibility of with Sinclair. Whereas 
if you're not as rock solid, then you have to use Sinclair in that bullpen because, as we saw last year, that Jeffrey Hakinson role, getting that ball to him was a huge part of the success. Absolutely. And it's not like it's not like Jack can't, you know, start out start out a game. You know, we we we, we were so fascinated and, and so in awe of what he was doing in the eighth inning in front of Jeffrey Hickinson last year. But people forget that he started Jack Sinclair started his season last year in a game against Siena in which he went four innings. He gave one hit, one walk, and struck out ten. Uh so he can do this, and if if you get that on the front end of a bullpen game, uh, and then you can throw that to you know a Zach Hunsaker, uh, you know, or David Litchfield, uh, or all you know, they have a lot of they have a lot of options. AJ Jones could start or be in the bullpen as well. Then then you know you've got a, you've got a good chance of again establishing an early lead and going from there. Now, one of the things I love about baseball here is as is. It's one of the seasons where, I mean, to an extent, you could say this about all sports, but particularly with baseball, you really a lot of times do not know what you're going to get until we actually get out there on the field. And the team's personality at the end of the year will be much different than it is at the beginning of the year. So we're going to start once again February 19th, Friday. Uh, that's this Friday, 6 p.m. against FAU at John Juliano Park. Stetson comes here on Tuesday the 23rd at 6 the first full home series will be in the first uh, weekend of March. Liberty comes here for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 6, 4, and 12 at John Juliano Park. By fingers crossed. Fingers yes. crossed. We, okay, that's very <laughs> subject, subject, schedule subject to change. Yeah, that's everything is. Used to there. Yep. And you know. uh, I've talked about things that are pointless in, in sports talk, you know, like 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 rankings, football rankings and, <laughs> and high school prospect stuff what's also pointless and yet i'm still going to talk about it is preseason projections for ncaa tournament yes uh, yes give it to me give it to they're, me they're absolutely nothing but just content drains uh hey which, hey hey hey, hey, I, I, hey. I write easy does it there <laughs> hey but wait, we all got we all got to do it because again, it creates content. I wouldn't be talking about it if I didn't click on the link to see it. But D1 Baseball, <laughs> D1Baseball.com has, has come out uh, as of today, Thursday on February 18th, with their projected preseason field of 64 for college baseball. They have UCF listed as the two seed in the Gainesville Regional. They would be facing the number three seed Stetson Hatters in that regional. The top of that regional, of course, in Gainesville will be Florida. They have Florida listed as the number one overall national seed. Hmm. Oh, boy, Eric Lopez. That means February 23rd, Tuesday, UCF against Stetson. Postseason implications. Well, especially this year with, I'm sure, regionals will be very close, you know, regional. So, bus trips, that that makes a ton of sense. By the way, you can check out my softball uh, preseason bracketology uh, in the Justin's World website. So, all right, Murph. So, bracketologies are good, Murph. They're good. They're good content. And uh, hopefully that comes to fruition for UCF and they get to the postseason there. Just like the Rays, Chad Matola, deep postseason run maybe. Kind of a good segue there because – what did you think? Uh, I was so impressed. We've had Chad Matola on this show recently, and, we're, and Greg talking about it, both of them, and kind of picking each other's brain. And I thought that was interesting if you picked up on that about, you know what, you got to be, you know, be kind of like the Rays where everybody in this roster has to be ready to have their number called on a given day based on matchups and everything. It seems to me 
in a year like this, that could become very beneficial. Yeah, and you know, sometimes baseball fans get get weirded out when the lineup changes a lot because they want guys to be in their certain spots. And sometimes players themselves want to be in their certain spots. But, but Greg has been very clear on this. You might see four different lineups from him in a conference four-game series because of the things that he's talked about with Chad Matola and how the Rays operate with. It's not just about platoon splits and, and you know right, right against left and left against right, but also what are you facing today? Are you facing a soft tosser? Are you facing a guy that throws slider heavy? Is a lot of heat coming at you? Um, you know, and, and then who are your best players to go attack that repertoire? And so I think you're going to see a lot of that this year with Craig Lovelady just sort of adjusting on the fly, game by game, based not only on what side the pitch is coming from, but just basically I think the stuff and the repertoire that he brings. I don't know if we saw that as much in years previous, but because of his talks with Matola and understanding what the Rays do, uh, he's going to bring that to UCF. Interesting. Chad Matola dropping some coming in and influencing his alma mater. That's fantastic. I think it's great to have the alma maters in general. I mean, to have Chad Matola right there, highest yeah. level, to kind of who's spoken to the team, that's huge. Uh, you know, I spoke to Justin Pope, Jason Arnold, who's still involved in baseball, and they're fought. I mean, the job that Greg's done with the alumni is tremendous. I mean, Murph, you and I talked to Ben Lively when he was in South Korea, and he talked about that's the thing about Greg. He's he has brought everybody in the alumni. It's not just guys that he has coached, but guys before him and, and beyond. I think that's been huge. And you're seeing some of that dividends with somebody like Chad Matola, who's arguably the greatest position player in UCF baseball history, and right now doing a heck of a job at Major League Baseball. And to me, if you're a UCF baseball player, you talk about a great pitch there. I mean, you now know what it, you know, you're going to know what it takes to get to the big leagues because Greg knows what it takes and he's going to help you develop into that. And that's something he's talked about in the past, Murph, about helping these guys serve them and develop them, right? Absolutely. And, you know, you know, and, and Greg sort of talked about at the end of our interview that with what's going on in the minor leagues, it's a shame that some of those guys out of, you know, really out of their control, but some of those guys that he will develop won't have a chance to get there because of the contraction of the minor leagues. But, you know, there have been successful UCF baseball players through the system that are, that are on their way up. Uh, and, I, you know, I think there's only more to come. And, hey, we might see Charles Johnson at a game this year. I mean, who doesn't want that? <laughs> <laughs> CJ, man. I know, I, I know that Greg, whoever, do, whoever does, Greg Lovelady is at the top of the list. It's, do you think he wears his World Series ring? Oh, I hope so. Oh, I'd love to see that. Or that's Eric, got like that's got a feature written all over that for you, man. That's got you uh, got to work on that. Well, and I and just to piggyback on what you said about the alums too. I've talked to Drew Gutera, who is who is uh, lives locally and has stopped by, you know, in his in, in times where he's available to talk with Love, and he said he's really enjoyed doing that. And so again, just more alums coming by and and having that unity uh, with the previous eras. Um, it's a different field, previous regime from more than four years ago. Definitely. So, this will be a fun. This will be a fun trip for UCF baseball. You know, obviously, like we mentioned, Ole Miss out of conference, Liberty out of conference, a lot of Florida games. It's good to see that that the team will be at least be in the state of Florida for a considerable amount of time. They are going, of course, to Troy, and then the uh, and then of course the uh, games that they have coming up against uh, or in conference. Uh, and remember, they play everybody in conference once, but they play USF twice because of how the conference schedule. 
um, works out. Uh, of course, UConn's gone this year. So, uh, again, the season goes through uh, into May. May 22nd is uh, the final day of the season. And we're starting, of course, uh, in February, February 19th, this Friday, against FAU. So it's a three-month sprint for UCF baseball, and we'll see how they shape up. Of course, Murph and Eric and all of us will be following these games closely as they do, as we do with uh, this insanely busy spring. You can follow us at UCF underscore Banneret for all the latest. Follow Murph at Spokes underscore Murphy. And follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. You can follow me at Jeff underscore Jaron on Twitter as well. We're also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. So for all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, for Brian and Eric, I'm Jeff. Thank you so much for listening to our baseball preview. Let's go hit the diamond, boys. Here we go.